This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to another Joy 94.9 podcast. Yes, it is a good thing you're here with Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. Jane and Rebecca giving you life from a transgender perspective here for your wonderfully humidy, wet, rainy Melbourne Wednesday night, isn't it, Jane? The temperature's been up and down and the weekend's going to be up in the 30s. Yeah, it's all over the place, but I won't be here. I'll be in Sydney myself. Okay. Yes, not only do I fill in for Lauren during the show, I also fill in by going all around the place uh, <laughs> while I'm off air. But uh, we've mm. got a lot on our plate tonight, haven't we? A bit of we, a follow-up uh, from last week's we show. We certainly have. The topic for the week is something that Lauren likes to call vaginal maintenance. It's basically how you look after yourself post-surgery. And I think it might be a little bit interesting. Yeah, commonly called dilation. Well, um, that's part of it. Eh? Yeah. And, and that's probably the major part. But there's a few other things that you've got to do as well. Exactly right. So if you are a bit squeamish and you sort of tuned in last week and thought, oh, not my cup of tea, now's the time to go off and make a cup of tea, the one that you'll enjoy. And uh, we'll get on with doing our bits and pieces. But first of all, what have you been up to this week, Jane? Well, it's been a relatively quiet week. And so as it's spring, I thought I'd do some spring cleaning. I do actually clean the house occasionally. And I found that I had an enormous amount of paperwork at home, uh, a lot related to the show over the years. And I thought, well, I'm not going to use this anymore. So I chucked it all out. And I filled up one of those large plastic wheelie bins Mm -hmm. with paper. And... I also filled up one of the rubbish tins as well, uh, so the, the rubbish, the, the, the smaller size rubbish bin with rubbish. So I've got a slightly cleaner house, but um, when I look at some of the rooms, I think, mm, I think there's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, are you sure out. you're not a hoarder, Jane? Or, I mean, do we have stacks of old newspapers and things um, you'll eventually use? I don't keep stacks of newspapers because we very seldom buy mm-hmm. them, but I do have a lot of old electronics magazines which go back should I say, about 30 years or so. So back before we actually had electricity. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. I've decided I'm going to bite the bullet instead of keeping it all because I I never read it, so I'm going to chuck it all out. Good to hear. Now, there's other bright sparks in your life too, referring to last week, that Green Expo thing you were talking about um, before. We had a guy come out on Monday to install some free cut-off switches. Now, these were basically being sort of advertised at the Green Expo I talked about last week. And there's a different one for your TV and your computer. But what they basically do is sense when your computer goes into sleep mode or you turn off your computer, and it then turns off all the peripherals. So you only need one switch. So by turning your computer on and off, it turns all the peripherals on and off. And basically the idea is that if your computer goes into sleep mode and shuts down it turns off everything else. Okay, so it doesn't detect like, oh, you're not typing fast enough, I better turn this thing off or anything Well, like that. the computer does that but sort of, um, by itself, um, except mine. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my laptop is fine and, and my main computer is fine, but the one that I've actually got it wired up to, no, it, it doesn't do it, which is the one that's got all the printers attached. Last week, uh, you mentioned something about reading the fine print. Now, that now yes. this might have been on the show. And I actually sat down and read the fine print with, with the contract because basically they give you these switches, which they say are worth about $90 each, and i got four mm-hmm. of them. Um, how the company gets paid is that they take the energy credits that go with them and they go and claim those. So you have to sign over the credits to them. After I'd sort of read it and I, and I signed the document, the guy made a comment. He said, you're the first one I've ever seen read the fine print. 
Yeah, and so it is worth doing. And people yes. just, oh, what do you mean I've got to sign away my firstborn child to Voldemort mm. or something like that? It, mm. it is worth doing. Yeah, uh, but this one, there's only about sort of four paragraphs and it was very... Um, very simple stuff. I work in the thing, the smaller they make the print, the more they want to hide from you. <laughs> well, this print wasn't that small. I could read it without glasses. Good to hear. Now, how about you? Uh, quiet big week by my standards. Busy one by yours, I'd say. Um, not well, having a go to that, but it's I, just, I have my quiet weeks and I have my busy weeks. Yeah, look, uh, a fairly quiet one. Look, I've basically been working and that's it, um, including just managing to rush into the studio in time for the show tonight. Uh, the work's been kind of flat out at the moment, all the spring race racing stuff and that kind of stuff on and traveling between my house and my girlfriend's house um we're a bit over 100 kilometers away from each other at the moment so it's a bit of a hike although right now this instant she's on the gold coast i believe uh going out to hooters i think so um yeah a bit of fun there but hopefully she's having some fun and i'm sure i'll get a report when she gets back but will you get a full report I'm not too worried about a full report as long as I get a Hooters t-shirt so I can show that the thing she has in Melbourne is far better than anything that's up there. Oh, but okay. trying to work on getting my workplace a bit closer to hers. And uh, probably the biggest thing for me was finally closing off the last of my credit cards. Although the bank didn't want me to do that. They were very keen on me. Oh, look, sure, you can close this one off, but why don't you open this other one? And, that, and you know, I just the whole idea of not living on credit didn't sit too well with well, them. Well, don't forget, they make a lot of money out of your credit cards, <laughs> especially if you don't pay them off. That was the idea. I like to keep my own money mm. in that. So, um, speaking of the other half, I did see her off at the Melbourne airport. Uh, when was it? Tuesday. Yeah, that was yesterday, wasn't it? Cup day. Yes. It's been a hell of the last 24 hours. Now, she was flying up to Brisbane, and I thought, okay, I'm going to see if I can catch public transport from the airport and beat her home. And I did end up walking the last three kilometres or so in a fairly hefty pace, but I better by 20 minutes. So, anyone who thinks Melbourne's public transport is slow? No, no, no. <laughs> but she was going a lot further too, wasn't she? Yeah, and um, I sorted out my stuff for another trip to Sydney, driving up there with my dad on Friday, leaving at 4am. And uh, it'll be an interesting time, and sure, there'll be a lot to report back to next time I'm mm. on the air. Mm. After the show, we basically received a couple of emails uh, from Sophie, who mm-hmm. commented on our, our discussion about the sigmoid, so sigmoid colon method of sex uh, reassignment surgery. Yes. Now, Sophie writes, hi, girls, the colon's something kind of up uh, and ended up with I had that one and ended up with about seven inches of depth. But after a few years of not taking care of it via dilation, etc., it's considerably reduced, I think. Love you, Beck. Now I know why you want to read the emails. <laughs> you developing a stalker here or something? No, no. Stalking involving transmission time is my job to you, Jane. Um, no. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, you do that too. <laughs> Sophie's a wonderful friend of mine. Um, she was the person who helped me through my transition the most and was there for me when I had my surgery. And I can honestly say I owe my life to Sophie. And and she's more family than anyone I'm actually related to. And she's also a great fan of the show and thinks it's a perfect match for pizza. Ooh. <laughs> she uh, enjoys one with each show. Oh, lovely. Hmm. And now the second email from Sophie reads, I wouldn't say that the sigmoid colon version removes the need to use lubricant, but maybe reduces it slightly. I would also say I had the digestive system issues, perhaps IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, like since I had that. I can't say for sure if it's related. Like all these things, make your decisions with caution. Mm. Thanks for, uh, for basically clarifying that lubrication issue. Because uh, last week uh, we said that that particular method of surgery uh, was actually self-lubricating and hence you didn't have to use lube if you wanted a little bit of sex. Now, 
that basic information came from a bit of research I did and maybe the website was a little bit uh, so emphasising a little bit too much the advantages of that form of research bit of surgery. used car salesman in there yeah it could be Sophie makes a very important uh, point at the end making your decisions with caution and of course you should do that with all forms of surgery hmm. you're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9 you're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9 with Jane and Rebecca. No yep. Lauren tonight. No, no, no Lauren again. Um, we, we're actually going to release a book called Where's Lauren? <laughs> Uh, if you can find her in the crowd somewhere around the world wearing a red and white striped top. Um, I think it's called Where's Wally, wasn't it? I'd say like that. I think it's also Waldo in America. And that's oh. a, um, a Wally is something different, I assume. Oh, but don't know. No, well, that's not tonight's subject, is it? Um, tonight on Transmission Jane. Transmission time, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the transmission. I'm having a shocker tonight. What have you had to drink today, Rebecca? <laughs> not a lot, actually. Hence a uh, bit of coughing in between songs there. But uh, look, tonight we're going to cover a subject that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. And again, we issue a similar warning to last week that if you're a little bit squeamish, might be time to go and make a cup of tea. Last week we talked about the different forms of uh, sex reassignment surgery for male to female trans women. Many people I've spoken to seem to think that surgery is the end of the road and for transition, but not realising there is a lifetime of it, to put it mildly, maintenance associated with that surgery. When most people go, go into hospital for surgery, they recover. After that, they basically forget about it. For instance, I have an elderly relation who had his second hip replacement earlier this year. He came home, he did his exercises for a couple of weeks, then about five or six months later he goes skiing. Now, this person is about 74 years old, excellent skier, he works very well, but he never gave his surgery basically a second thought. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have sex reassignment surgery, the surgery is really just the beginning of a lifetime of what um, Lauren likes to call a vaginal maintenance. Now, before we, we talk about vaginal maintenance or what it's uh, generally referred to as dilation, let's explain a little bit about why this maintenance is required after sex reassignment surgery and why it is so important. If you have a cut or wound in your body, the, the, basically the body's defensive mechanism goes into action and tries to repair any damage. Its natural tendency is really to heal the wound and to try and return the site to, uh, to that which existed before the wound occurred. Now, it also has the ability to detect um, uh, for foreign material and reject it uh, unless appropriate drugs are uh, taken. Yeah, but basically, like if you have a, um, a kidney replacement or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, organ rejection drugs or um, donor rejection. I can't remember the, the... I've gone the mind blank there, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, well, sex reassignment surgery is really just like having a very big wound between your legs uh, where uh, the vagina is going to be replaced. Now, this wound can be anywhere from a few inches up to about eight inches in depth. Now, the body sees this wound as something that should not be there, no matter how much we'd like it to be there in the mm -hmm. first place, and immediately starts to try and close it. Now, last week, uh, we talked about a process called granulation, which is where the tissue basically typically grows from the base of the wound and is able to fill up wounds of almost any size. Now, this granulation, if it's left to its own devices, will eventually, quote, heal, unquote, the wound. And the rear seismic surgery not to mention the expense, will all be for naught. Yeah, look, I think the easiest way to explain is to think of the vaginal opening as like being a pierced ear. If you take the earring out and after a while the hole shrinks and it's a lot harder or almost impossible to get an earring back through that, that point. That's a little hole, mm. yeah. 
so, so we have to ask the question, how do we overcome the body's natural healing process? Well, we, we use a, a process of uh, vaginal maintenance called dilation. Now, I'm not sure if you've really heard the, um, the term dilation. Well, you've probably all heard it, but not in the context in which we are talking. Because uh, basically here, dilation refers to trying to stop the vagina from contracting and counteracting the body's normal uh, healing healing process that wants to close up our wound. So what do we do? Uh, we have to insert a dilator into the vagina and stretch the opening to counteract this healing process. Now in practice, a dilator is something akin to a, a dildo. Uh, the medical ones are often made of acrylic, very smooth, with parallel sides and a, and a sort of like a rounded conical tip. They do not have any phallic markings like some dildos I've seen. Remember, these are for medical purposes, not sexual ones. Okay, Rebecca, what did your surgeon give you? Well, I've actually got a bit of show and tell in the studio tonight, Jane. <laughs> now, it's, it's not great radio, I know, but um, you can hear them clunk together there, which... Um, and they're acrylic, it. yes. Yes, they are acrylic. Uh, the actual dilators I've given are a clear resin with inch markings on the side and their diameter marked as well. Um, mine were provided in a small, medium, large, ranging from 25 to 32 mil in diameter. And having seen other dilators, I've noticed a difference in the end shape and the material used. I'd guess that the tip shape has more to do with the surgery technique uh, so that the dilator fits like a glove, so to say. One thing uh, should be noted is that an off-the-shelf vibrator or dildo doesn't give the same results as the dilator. As much fun as they can be, they really are more of a pleasure and not for keeping things really in showroom condition. Look, I've personally found uh, using condoms over the top of the dilators to help with the insertion and also to keep uh, things a bit cleaner, uh, although I do wash them after use. It also means that you have a handy supply of condoms close at hand uh, should the need arise for other uh, pleasures, so to say. Mm. Well, now that we've had a little bit of a look at dilation and why it is so important, it's time to look at how it's done. Now, every surgeon has different recommendations as to the form of dilation that we should take and we'll just talk about a, um, a couple of regimes. Now I have a very close friend who went to Dr. Saporn in Thailand, uh, a little place called Chombri, mm -hmm. um, which is sort of oh, about 70k south it's of or Phuket, I think that's south of, down that way, isn't it? It's basically southeast of Bangkok. It, it's right way down on the coast. Now she lent me her aftercare manual. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, she wouldn't come on here and talk of her experience, which would have been really great, but, yeah, that's the no, way it is. Some people just don't have the, a face for radio, do they? <laughs> oh, she looks okay. It sounds like you've certainly done your research in all this, Jane. Well, and, look, we spoke last week. Is there a special overseas trip on the cards for you sometime in the future with all the interest you're taking in this? Well, you never know, but um, I've been doing a bit of research for, you know, for a couple of years now, and I do find the research interesting. Yeah. Now, one thing I did find in reading the manual, it talks about two different forms of uh, dilation. One is static and the other is dynamic. They say that with the static dilation, you basically just in, in insert the dilator, hold it in place for about an hour while exerting inwards pressure. Now, this is evidently uh, only done in the early days, and it's solely to prevent the wound from initially closing up and to maintain depth. Dynamic or active dilation is referred to. It's designed to soften the scar tissue as it starts to contract, as it starts to harden, and to open up the, the entrance to your vagina. Now, the contraction of the scar tissue it can be very strong, and it will close up the vagina if nothing's done. It's, you know, it's like uh, when you have breast implants, you have to do a lot of 
breast manipulation. Massaging and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, so that the scar tissue basically sort of stays um, quite large. Otherwise, your breasts can become very, very tight. Now, the support manual says that you basically insert the dilator and apply pressure basically as much as you can take for about 10 to 15 seconds. You then relax the pressure and then you gyrate the dilator in basically a conical fashion uh, from for another 10 to 15 seconds. And then you repeat this for about 10 to 15 minutes. Well, we might give you a bit of a break there, Jane, and stop the rock here on Joy 94.9. You're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9. And that last track was Stop the Rock by Apollo 440. One of your favourite tunes that rock out to, I do mm, believe, Jane. No, probably not. <laughs> the, the music is by Rebecca. She stop chose. blaming me every week, Jane. Oh. That you, <laughs> I've got to blame somebody. Of course. Now, <laughs> you are listening to Transmission Time, uh, as is Nicole, who's listened in and she says that please know that she's streaming the show from a rental car and she's absolutely loving the show and thanks for an educational show as always Mm, very good now we will continue our little discussion on the aftercare following sex reassignment surgery yes now we had a quick look at the dilation methods now let's have a look at how much and how often you need to dilate post-surgery now the doctor support manual says that for the first month while in thailand you should only use static dilation and do it for at least one hour twice a day after that you start on dynamic dilation the manual says to do three sessions for months two and three post-surgery for months four to six it is recommended reducing the sessions to twice a day and for the following six months down to once a day after the first year they say that it is only necessary to do it two to three times a week well even though the manual says to to keep up the state dilation for about four weeks my friend that said that she actually started her dynamic dilation about three weeks after post-surgery on the advice of the surgeon now rebecca how do you find uh, dr zapon's instructions match with those given to you by Dr. Preacher? Well, the type of dilation is a pretty close match. I was told to dilate for half an hour twice a day to begin with, but the half an hour started when I reached the maximum depth. So, well, uh, which I think was actually pretty much the same as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess it would work out to about an hour uh, to begin with anyway. I also listened to my body, and if I was happy to keep going a bit longer, then I would keep going. Some days it was very painful, like trying to dilate just after a few hours after sport. My muscles now were a bit fatigued from a lot of running around and after all I spent a lot of money on having the carport put in so there was no point ripping it down by doing burnouts <laughs> in the driveway so if my buddy said look just take a break I'd take a break. Mm. Well my friend said that one of the very big mistakes that she made in, in her dilation regime was not going up to the largest size early enough. Evidently the surgeon said to start using the largest dilator which I think is about th- uh, I think she said it was about 32 millimetres in diameter which is quite big at about sort of the two to three mark, uh, basically when the vagina had just initially healed. Now, she told me that she was afraid to use the large one because she thought it might tear something. Um, she had been using just a small one, which was a lot thinner. And um, she, yeah, she's just a little bit sort of worried about using it. Anyway, she thinks that as she was not stretching things sufficiently, the scar tissue actually de- uh, developed a, a bit smaller than the optimal diameter. And that has made her dilation a little bit harder than what it should have been basically 18 months post-surgery. Mm-hmm. Now, Rebecca, how did you judge when was the time to, uh, to basically reduce your 
dilation regime, or was it basically following sort of set times or do you have some other way of doing it? Firstly, in terms of changing up through the size of the dilators, when I first started out, I thought there is no way I'll ever get the large one in there. It's huge. But I was surprised at how soon after using it, I wanted something that was bigger uh, as, it felt, <laughs> as it felt loose. And now, no, no comments I'm not going to make any comments. No social comments needed. Look, as for the method, I found I would have had to say it was a bit of a mix of both and that dilating can take over your life for a bit. And so I found that further I got away from surgery, finding the time in my day to dilate became harder because I was getting on with my life. And I found that if I dilated once a day, there were no issues. But if I left it for a few days and things would be tight, in general, I found if the need arise, I would skip the odd day, which made planning my life a lot easier to do. These days, I really don't dilate anywhere near as much as I should, but I also have no plans of taking my vagina out in the battlefield anytime <laughs> soon either. Well, that's a neat way of putting it. My friend who gave me the manual, she said that she developed her own way of determining when to, to basically uh, to cut down the, the sessions. She basically used the manual as a guide, which has got you know, mm-hmm. some fairly basically fairly strict guidelines in it and she started recording the insertion times each time she dilated now being the person she is she put them into an excel spreadsheet as you do <laughs> as you do yes and and then graphed them now in this way she could actually see at a glance how she was progressing and she said that by looking at the graph she found that the insertion times trended down, gradually down and flattened out she also said that her times would then uh, maintain a given level and then suddenly drop now, she didn't know why, but she basically used this uh, drop as the time to change and reduce the frequency. She said that she actually spent a lot longer at each level recommended in the manual. Like, so basically, instead of, say, spending three months at X number of dilations, she might have spent five or six, but she thought it was actually better. Now, the insertion time is important as they're a guide to how well uh, you are in maintaining your vaginal size. She said that she lost a little depth but of course she wasn't willing to say how much she started with or how much she lost but reading between the lines I don't think it was very much mm-hmm. and she said that every time she reduced the number of dilation or the days between her times went up and it could sort of basically be two or three weeks before they got back to the starting point again so it's a little bit of like going up a mountain and coming back down again I've also heard of people uh, dilating in the bath as well <laughs> apparently okay. uh, get in the warm water and w- relaxes all your muscles and things like mm-hmm. that and if you're having trouble that can help as well okay. uh, not a technique I've tried myself because baths generally aren't long enough to fit me in (laughs) but look in terms of my experience of dilation it hasn't been a good one uh, but it hasn't anything at all to do with the surgery technique it's because of the unrelated illness about a year later when I um, had leukaemia going back to the time just post-surgery dilation was a very messy affair and it took me a couple of weeks to work out a system that worked for me so I didn't end up with a mess everywhere and in the end, I found out that having an old towel under me, tissues to one side, lube to the other side, and my head propped up just at the right angle that I could still see the television worked well. Did you have a favourite program? <laughs> no, basically what was ever was on air did okay. me. And I went through a lot of lube in the early stages, working out just how much of it I needed to use without there being a big mess to clean up. And initially post-surgery, I started off with the smallest dilator and wondered whether I'd actually fit that largest dilator and I was told it'd take about a month before I could comfortably use the largest one, the 32mm diameter. One thing I didn't think about at the time was the amount of swelling I had internally, and that's why the smaller size is so tight to begin with. Uh, yeah, the, it makes sense. The actual technique um, was fairly straightforward, and I had to work out uh, work with the dilator 
uh, in small rotations, moving it back and forth as I inserted it. And this was to help the lube to ensure an even coverage all over. And some days it take a good 10 minutes to get the dilator um, in all the way, and other days it just slips straight in. And when I reached the maximum depth possible, I had to hold it there, just a small amount of pressure tilting up slightly. Um, and from that point, I'd hold that position for about half an hour, and after this, if I felt like it, I could... Uh, pleasure in, in inverted <laughs> commas myself with the dilator mm. which was really just a bit of bonus dilation time mm. i have um, a friend in canada that i've uh, i've been talking to for a couple of years and she went to the same surgeon mm-hmm. and she said that uh, she used to find the dilation a bit painful and sometimes that she had to rest for a minute until the, so basically the pain subsided and that's what happens when you continue. use maple syrup instead of lube <laughs> that, for beginners oh, out there that that's a i have to tell her that <laughs> I had a relatively straightforward experience with mine and though there was some blood, although not much, and this became less and less as the months went on. As for the pain levels, um, I found there was no more painful than popping a pimple, if any pain at all. And all up, I had to dilate for half an hour, two times a day for the first six months and once a day after that. If I was engaging in sexual activity, then I wouldn't have to dilate at all, but this wasn't the case for me. Now, I've heard from, from a couple of sources if you're using a human dilator, it's not quite as effective as the plastic ones, but at least it might be a little bit more pressurable. Well, look, my personal experience with human dilators is very limited, so I can't speak much from the personal experience. I mean, they are fun and they have the uses, but I'd never want to own one myself. Okay. And that, uh, speaking to people I know who are in a long-term relationship with guys, their views range differently. Everything from we went like rabbits for, for a while, so it didn't hurt too much, and through to I found a guy who was just the right fit for me, And I can see how using a human dilator can be useful, but if it's the only thing you want to put in your vagina, but I think of the opening more like being a hole in your ear. And that, as, as I said before, and, that, and you've, if you don't want to keep wearing earrings all the time, you've got to at least make sure it doesn't close up. But anyway, we'll uh, take a short break here and continue the discussion shortly on Transmission Time with Jane and Rebecca. You're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9 with Jane and Rebecca. And tonight we're talking about vaginal maintenance or what to do after you've had a sex reassignment surgery. Now so far we've talked about the dilation methods used by a couple of Thai surgeons which I believe is especially sort of fairly typical but it's not the only way. No there's always an alternative isn't there? There is. Now Mm. I was actually talking to a friend on Monday night and her dilation regime was basically sort of totally different. She said that her surgeon did not recommend any dilation for about the first six weeks. At the six-week mark, she had to insert a condom containing rolled-up foam rubber and leave it in for 24 to 48 hours. At that point, she had to change it and, and keep on doing it for a further six weeks. After that, she had to dilate for about 30 minutes twice a day and, unlike the other regimes, slowly reduce this over time. Now, I can understand the surgeon's reasoning for this because this period uh, where she had to put the, uh, the condom in with the rubber is basically when the scar tissue is really starting to contract and the foam rubber is actually supposed to try and resist that contraction. Well, I can see how this would have its advantages and as the neovagina is not contracting as much in between the dilations, uh, look, I can only go by my personal experience and at a guess I'd say this technique suits a surgical technique. With any dilation, it's better to go by what your doctor says for the work they have done rather than listening to what a friend of a friend heard down the pub off a good mate. Well, I don't think it's a subject you're going to get discussed down the pub too often, Rebecca. Depends on which pubs you go to, I guess, Jane. Yeah, but look, probably. I have to say that it wasn't until I booked my surgery that I found out 
out about dilating and I had no idea there was post-surgical need for any such thing and hopefully those who are considering surgeons or surgery and who are listening to the show might be wiser of the facts than I was. Mm. Cis women basically have a natural advantage over trans women as their vagina is a basically sort of self-cleaning requires very little maintenance. But some companies would like you to believe otherwise and try and sell you lots and lots of products. Now I did note in the um, Dr. Porn's manual that because he uses the scrotal sac to line the vagina there can be a certain degree of self-lubrication related to the absorption and release of estrogen from taking HRT. Though um, the manual does say it varies greatly from individual and will not necessarily be what a natural born woman would get. Now Rebecca what other sort of post-surgery care have you found necessary? Well the other piece of post-surgical care that I do is something I still do regularly and that's to clean out the vaginal canal with a betadine solution and this is done while I'm in the shower using one of those squirty things. Uh, I think you mean a douche? I'm not a douche Jane there's no (laughs) need to use that kind of language in the show tonight okay but look it's just a way of getting rid of any bacterial growth or foreign objects that may be in there and initially post-surgery I was doing this daily but these days I do it about once a month. I also wash using a pH balanced soap of which there are many brands on the market they're all out there and there's a couple on the market that are specific for the female anatomy and as I mentioned before I did have issues about a year after the surgery when at the time I was dilating there's a larger amount of blood than I expected and at first I thought there might have been something torn but it turns out this was due to the leukemia that I had and as I went through the treatment for that I couldn't dilate as my skin was tearing apart and not repairing itself and like quite literally if I rubbed my hands together the, the skin would pull apart Ooh, and nasty. yeah after I got out of hospital about six months later I tried to dilate but I was still actually undergoing chemo at the time and this was kind of pointless so I basically went for a little over uh, two years without being able to dilate and the difference is very noticeable these days I've lost about 35% of the depth and I do notice the scar tissue which is more sensitive these days I don't dilate on a daily basis but I find about once a week is enough to keep everything from getting too tight down there but there hasn't been any improvements to depth unfortunately mm, which is a pity now one thing that is stressed in um, in the Dr. Porn manual is that once you lose depth it can't be recovered mm. uh, which is sort of the issue you've got now I actually mentioned this to a, um, a local surgeon that I was talking to and he said that he thought that depth could be increased but that it would be very, very difficult. But he didn't really elaborate on basically what could be recovered and how much work it could be. Now, several of my friends have said that dilation virtually ruled their lives for about the first year. Did you find it this initially before you were diagnosed with the leukaemia? Well, Jane, you know, for the first few months I did, but then it just became part of my daily life. And when I started out, I was making sure it happened on the hour for fear of flying monkeys that would be sent down from the Wicked Witch. And <laughs> a few after a time, I found that I could easily work around it. And being a shift worker and travelling interstate a lot, I used to use it as a private time for a bit of kind of medica- meditation. Oh, okay. And a chance to unwind from the day, really. This, this way is it didn't seem as a chore and oh damn I've got to take the bins out kind of thing it was actually <laughs> something that helped me in my life in general well my friend in Canada um, gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, she dilates then she goes to work mm-hmm. so she does it in the early part of the day while she's basically I suppose fairly relaxed from overnight now 
one thing that we haven't talked about so far is the emotional feelings that go with dilation. The uh, the support manual, again, talks about the need to have a positive attitude towards your dilation and not to see it as a chore, like, as you say, taking mm. the rubbish bins out. How do you feel about your dilation? Look, it certainly does help to have a positive attitude because if you're positive about something, you're more relaxed and then you can enjoy the moment more. And some days my dilation is more enjoyable than others and when that happens, I go with the moment. But uh, we're not unlocking a safe here. It's not three clicks to the left, seven clicks to the right, four clicks to the left and clunk, everything <laughs> opens. You need to work with your body and not force it to take the dilator uh, because the manual ha- doesn't have to be followed exactly to the letter. You've, mm. you've got to work with yourself. Correct. Anyway, I suppose just as sort of a bit of a wrap up, as you can see from our little discussion tonight that having sex reassignment surgery is not the end of the transition journey. It can go on for many years after you've reached you know, your initial goal. With a, lot, a lot of trans women are saying you know, basically uh, surgery is the ultimate, but it does go on. Of course, we have to stress that uh, what we've discussed tonight are experiences of um, Rebecca and a few of our friends and uh, it's just meant as a general information session. And look, if you've got experience with that then you'd like to let us know about it, you can SMS us on 0427JOY949 or send us an email on air at joy.org.au and you've got to remember what was appropriate for me and my friends might not be appropriate for you and if you're considering gender reassignment surgery you will need to follow the recommendations of your own surgeon who has a dilation regime applicable for their surgery. You're listening to Transmission Time with Jane and Rebecca on Joy 94.9. And you're listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9 and don't forget to stick around for Jono and Leo with the Sound Museum after this where they might actually also look at things from the past and if you leave me, can I come too (laughs) from Mental as Anything there with our fresh new sound? Now, Jane, we've got a bit of time for a little bit of news before we close out the show. uh, Well, it's a bit of news but also... It's a bit of a comment. One of the things that tends to get Rebecca and I and Lauren very upset is the incorrect use of pronouns in media reporting. Hmm. Now, I'd like to think that one day the media will get it right and start using pronouns that are appropriate. Now, we have um, an example here. This one's called Cross-Dresser Charged with Possession of a Stun Gun During Escort Sting. Mm -hmm. Now, this was sort of based to me, seemed to be, be a bit of a setup. Basically, it was a, a trans girl who was um, advertising on a website as a transgender escort. Now, the article talks about her, mentions he, man, basically 14 times in now, the article. Now, it's not a very long article. I've got it here, and it is a very short article. Look, I'd say no more than about 300 words, and we've got man, man, he, he, man, he, man, he, him, man, him, he. There's no she in it or no. her. The only reference that it's uh, talking about a transgender person uh, was basically on a website where it says transgender escort. And mm. that's the only time that they mention it. And I was a little bit disgusted at the article. We certainly sort of wouldn't sort of condone the, uh, what this person was doing. But the reporting is almost as bad. Now, Jane, if you can tell me why they're using male pronouns all the way through this article, I'm going to give you a week off from the show. Because <laughs> uh, seriously, I've got no idea. It, it, it seems to me to be a case of transphobia and that from the newspapers or they're just trying to sensationalise things to sell more papers. Well, I'm still wondering if it's a little bit of sensationalism. Like, um, I remember uh, going back, probably a little bit before your time, because <laughs> I'm a bit older than you. I am a spring uh, chicken. <laughs> boiler, spring boiler. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> well, we can see where this is heading. We have to have some words after the show. 
<laughs> there was uh, I remember some reporting back in the uh, going back quite a number of years where the headlines were transgender prostitute killed or something I think it was uh, Adele Bailey yes yeah, that, but, um, I remember that case and that it was like it was read out like a soap opera because every twist and turn that something happened and that and oh it was that the police officer or something that they managed to find or something it was yeah it was quite an interesting case but they um sensationalized it as much as they possibly could every headline you saw is always transgender prostitute not prostitute and Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem with prostitution but it was the way that they sort of advertise it it's always transgender or transsexual prostitute and it, to me it was just a way of sort of trying to get a bit of sensationalism into the article and and this article is a little bit sort of the same because mm-hmm. they talk about a cross-dressing man and his blonde wig and, and they talk about a man's purse this person evidently had a, a female purse and it was all the wrong sort of pronouns and it, and it talks about he faces six years and nine months in prison he will return to court and the man was unaware he was speaking to police and things like that yeah, yeah. just quickly before we close out the show here in transgender conference offers sensitive training to care providers and this is from longmont not sure where Longmont is. If you if you live in Longmont, give send us an email. Uh, in early October, Marie visited a dental office and ran into the same old problem being referred to as a man instead of a woman, despite the pink bow and a shoulder-length hair and the dress she wore on that day. The dental assistant still referred to her multiple times as he, and the experience left the transgender woman feeling deflated and disrespected. And what it comes down to is trans adults uh, who are worried about the kind of treatment they're getting, like Marie experience, constantly forego preventative care or symptoms treatment, which concerns accounting that because, let's face it, people aren't getting the care they need. Correct, yes. And that, So it's, it's, it's quite annoying that mm. I mean, people, what difference does it make to actually look? Someone obviously, like the way Jane is dressed tonight, and that she's obviously wearing pink and all that kind of thing. So why would you refer to someone as he? And that I mean, I still get it myself and that. And it's really annoying. But you know, It is. My dentist is actually quite good. Uh, he always used the right names and sort of pronouns. But I have noticed occasionally one of his dental assistants sometimes slips in a he and then corrects herself. Hmm. Yeah, it irks me a bit, but at least they're trying, and that's the important thing. Now, Jane, the hour has absolutely flown. It's time for us to get out of here again. Uh, you'll be back next week with Lauren, I believe. I hope I'll be back with Lauren. Why <laughs> or, not? or else you're going to get a phone call on Tuesday night saying, Rebecca! <laughs> that's fine. I should be back from Sydney then. You've been listening to Transmission Time on Joy 94.9, and we'll be back next week with some more. Good night. This has been another Joy 94.9 podcast. Joy 94.9 is a gay and lesbian volunteer-based community radio station committed to providing a voice for the diverse GLBTI communities. You can support our work by becoming a member or making a donation. For details, go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.